welcome to the Cowries and Rice podcast, the second best China Africa podcast you've ever heard. Broadcasting from the heart of global China Africa research, Washington, D.C., I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, joined by my co-host. And Tim Kalu. How are you doing, Dr. Kalu? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Winslow? I'm doing pretty, pretty good. My, um, my NFL team lost, but my, the other teams in my division lost as well, so I'm, I'm, I, I can live with that. Um, today we are recording over Skype due to the presence of a very special guest, Francis uh, Pontemayor, who specializes in Chinese development finance, uh, the Chinese Development Bank, uh, and the China. She's a China Africa watcher in, in general, who I met over Twitter a, a, a while ago and met and had had the fortune of meeting her in person once. Um, she just received her master's in public policy from Tsinghua University, and she moved out to Chicago in the hopes of finding policy work. Francis, what are you doing back in the States? Uh, hey, Winslow. Uh, thanks for inviting me to the show, and I'm excited to be a part of this. Um, I'm back in the States, currently doing some freelance work, writing articles, and uh, I'm also a liaison for a Chinese SOE and their real estate development interests in Guam, where I'm from, so not China-Africa related, but take anything at this point. Um, definitely in the market for a job in international development and development finance, so that... anyone out there listening who works for any kind of banking institution, I'm really excited to learn about how that all works. And she is super intelligent, so I, 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 second, I, I second that nomination. <laughs> Did you just come out with something, by the way? I did. Me and two of my classmates from Tsinghua just published uh, an article in The Diplomat about um, how uh, Chinese infrastructure, well, their help in developing infrastructure in Sub-Saharan Africa and Central Asia is will help economic development in these regions. That sounds really cool. I'm go- I haven't read it yet. I'm going to link to it, and I'm going to read it um, sometime this week. Uh, but... Thank you for, for, for highlighting that kind of work. Today's episode will have us tackle a recently released China-Africa white paper. This white paper called China-Africa Economic and Trade Cooperation, brackets, 2013, close brackets, was released in late August of this year. And if you were listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure you heard about it. The full text of the white paper was uploaded uh, by Xinhua. And when it came out, uh, I skimmed it, found a few interesting facts, but mostly waited for someone who actually knows this stuff to talk about the white paper. Lo and behold, Francis agreed to come on this podcast and explain what is going on. So, Francis, I'm going to start out by asking, what is the China-Africa Economic and Trade Cooperation white paper? Who wrote it? Why was it written? To whom is it for? And how many of these things have come out? Sure. Um, so I guess I think it's important to make a distinction here. We were just talking about this before we all got started, but uh, China white papers are official government documents. Um, and so this, uh, the Chinese government released this China-Africa Economic and Trade Cooperation this August. And um, the paper is kind of like a progress report that discusses China's trade, aid, and investment engagements in Africa. And um, while a lot of other similar and economic trade agreements and speeches have been made between China and Africa over the years, uh, the first official white paper between uh, talking about trade and economic 
cooperation was first published in 2010. Um, and it's interesting to talk about white papers in China because they're just, I think, they're kind of like monologues, which talks about their <laughs> intentions and strategic outlook in specific spheres, talking about anything from their peaceful development to China's space activities. And these white papers are very uh, rose-tinted and that it only focuses on the positive and pleasant aspects while in, in, ignoring the kind of contradictions and difficulties of these actual policies. Because it's, it's pretty fair since someone wants to talk about that bad stuff. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned that the, an economic uh, white paper came out in 2010. There was also a, a general diplomatic um, white paper that came out in 2006. That's the one I'm most familiar with. Um, but, but what you mentioned this word like progress report. What does that kind of mean? Could could, could you clarify? A progress report. So uh, the the four, uh, the 2006 white paper that you were thinking about is the if I'm correct or. You're you're always correct. You're always correct in this podcast. Um, just the general. It's the general uh, China-Africa policy, so just um, their overarching plan, their strategic plan. And uh, this paper, this China Economic and Jesus, this is such a long name, <laughs> Economic and Trade Cooperation White Paper is it's just they have a lot of figures, a lot of statistics, a lot of uh, like specific projects and uh, industries and um, like things that they they have done in the last couple of years. So in 2010 they published one, and this 2013 they have uh, another list of all of the different things that they've accomplished since then. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Dr. Kalu, do do you do you want to ask anything? Um. Well, I guess why do you think this paper came out at this moment? Like, do you think there's any sort of um, underlying objective? from the Chinese government with regards to um, international notions of their reputation? What what are your thoughts along those lines? Um, so I think that a lot of these white papers, it's not very explicit in them saying that, but I think a lot of it is a reaction to uh, maybe a lot of Western criticisms about uh, Chinese activities in Africa. Um, and so, just like any other white paper and official Chinese policy, they want to continue to just report on all of the, the good things that they're doing uh, all over the world and in Africa, and how it just shows their, their long-term mutual win-win benefit with Africa, and how it's, it's, it's continuing like throughout the years. And so I think they need, they need to have something like this, this official white paper policy thing that I don't even think the U.S. has, just to make sure that they have it and here, like, look at this report card and all these figures and facts and people, you know, I think that's that's important, at least for the Chinese reputation, that they have a progress report. <clears throat> so that, that's, that's really interesting and, and, and a good point. I mean, the only... Uh, the equivalent sort of is the the GAO r r report um, that came out. I mean that came out like last year. So the the fact that the Chinese government is going to the trouble um, that is going to the trouble to do this and and have their face out there. I mean, people complain maybe that that China isn't as good at diplomacy, but in terms of official diplomacy, this is really good. I mean, it's message control. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, all right. How? Let me let me ask a follow-up question. Um, well, actually, Dr. Kalu, do you do you wanna do you wanna interject? Um. Yeah. Sure. So now that we we understand that this is um, a a diplomatic statement from the Chinese government. Um, how accurate is the information contained in this paper? Um, who wrote it? Why was it written? And, and who do you think it was directed at? And how do we, do we, I mean, and this is obviously an extreme position, but how do we discern between what's useful information here or what's more propaganda? Mm -hmm. um, okay, so as far as accuracy of the information goes, I think for anyone studying China-Africa relations or any China and other developing country relations, transparency, transparency and like accuracy of data is kind of hard to come by. Um, and I think the most controversial figure in this report is uh, how the Chinese foreign direct investment in Africa, which is pretty small compared to what a lot of media sources that like to report both Chinese and African and Western media sources, and um, I think it's it's important to just continually uh, don't take what you read in the media like just take it with a grain of salt. It's it's mm -hmm. hard to really come by this data, and you know even officials like highest senior level officials in China can't even get this data that like we all want to know about. But I think it's pretty <laughs> safe to say that. Uh, figures, these figures, whether they're small or large, that these uh, the, the engagements of China and Africa, it's positive. There's like real money being traded and uh, growth that is contributing to both uh, China and Africa's um, development. So, so if if I might interject, um, and, oh, thank oh, you. Uh, mm -hmm. If I might interject, so like when they. So this is like the best information that, that the Chinese government can can come up with, and to that to that effect, it's it's accurate. So when they say there are two thousand Chinese enterprises, um, which is uh, in one of the subsections improving the level of investment in finance and cooperation, if you can believe that the Chinese government believes it has two thousand yeah. over two Chinese over two thousand Chinese enterprises. Yeah. Okay. I think that's fair to say, and also I think. The Chinese government, the, the the numbers that they will produce are pretty conservative. Oh. So that's I think that's a good baseline to start off with if you're going to do any research on this this kind of stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and I also uh, you asked who who is this white paper written for, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, but I think it's this white paper is for anyone who is kind of skeptical about Chinese <laughs> engagements in Africa. And, and it's for themselves too. They want to give a progress report to its own people um, and show like, like it's a, it's kind of a, a nation building, like look at what we've done for, for the African, like the region and the continent. And this is, this is how this is why we continue to support them because it's mutually beneficial, so on and so forth. Mm. Oh, good, good point. Um, any additional follow-up questions, Dr. Kalu? Um, I, I think that's good. We might want to um, direct uh, the conversation now to um, 
China's direct investment, if they're okay with that one, Slow, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I, because I, I had some, some, speci some specific, some specific um, questions I was hoping to be highlighted. So, one of the things was, um, so what's the deal with China's direct investment in Africa being mostly comprised of mining, like on the on the third page? Um, nothing about oil. Is oil not an investment? Uh, like, I, I mean, if you follow the numbers, oil, oil is is Oil is one of the major things, it, the number one thing, more or less, that that that, um, that that China is trying to get out of Africa. Um, and so, after this this report came out, I saw an online comment saying, "Oh, look, China's China, contrary to popular opinion, China's not investing in resource extraction. Only what what is it? Thirty percent of Chinese investment is devoted to resource extraction. The rest is is with much more benign seeming things." And I'm like, "That number can't be right." Um, what does this paper mean by investment, and and what about oil? Sure. I also found it strange that the white paper doesn't mention anything about resource extraction, energy, or mining. I I also did uh, just because you we brought this point up. I didn't even realize it. I did a control F to see how many times the term appeared within this entire document. So uh, uh, I thought oil maybe uh, counted as like energy, like energy extraction, and it only appeared five times within the within the document. Mining only appeared once, and the same thing with oil. So um, I think that it's safe to say I I would uh, I would not agree with these China Africa observers who don't believe that China isn't involved in resource extraction because I mean. Their work in Angola alone. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you can't deny that. Um, it's it's a huge part of the you know, China's in China's relations with the Angolan uh, government. Um, however, when we talk about going back to your question about who this paper was written for, I think it's written the way it's written is trying to show that Africa. Uh, Chinese citizens and the rest of the world, um, what China has done for Africa, which seems like uh, it's a Chinese, China being on the defense with its engagement in the region. Uh, the white paper, like it's literally, or says, energy and resource exploitation is a major impetus for economic booms in Africa. Yeah. And then it goes how to say, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I, 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 was, I was nodding with you and agreeing with you. Yes, continue. Okay. Um, so yeah, it shows how China is a major contributor to the technologies and infrastructure construction to this, rather than going all out and saying that its uh, resource boom is in relation to China's huge demand for it. And it's just, it's kind of like the wording that they use. So they don't talk about mineral ex, uh, like ex exploitation, not exploitation, just mineral, mineral extraction, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, but it talks about the, the technology and the construction and the, the, like, the capacity building, the knowledge building and sharing and how they like, use this information and share it with African governments and say, this is how you should take the oil out of your country and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's just, I think it's a framing of words, uh, trying to be very diplomatic, very sensitive to uh, not trying to make it seem like China is just this exporter of their resources. <laughs> uh, very, very good points. Uh, Dr. Kalu, uh, um, anything on your end? Um, I saw in the news recently, and this isn't directly tied to the white paper, 
but um, there was an article about um, the Zambian government kicking out a Chinese agency over allegations of um, corruption and bribery and something along those lines. How do you think this paper is going to move past um, just the soft language on corporation and win-win and South-South solidarity and South-South solidarity to really help promote Chinese interests in Africa? Do you think, especially with regards to investments, even beyond oil? Um, so, just to clarify, you 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 say you ask them how how to navigate around this language with just like these corruption problems. Um, yeah. So I guess. Um, it's one thing for the Chinese government to say, look, we, um, we're interested in benefiting Africa and benefiting ourselves. Um, but it's another thing where on the ground, the reality of the situation is a little different. And you talked about how this is mm -hmm. a little bit of um, a rose-colored um, approach to Chinese engagement in Africa. Um, I guess my, my question is, how do we move past or how does the Chinese government move past this soft language towards, um, I guess, or how do they see real effects or right. real positive effects beyond just the, 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 the language and beyond the discourse? It's kind of a confusing question. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's complicated. I think with any kind of international relation, uh, like just how to navigate through all of that kind of stuff, it's... It's there is no overarching like model on how to approach these things and um, like for example the the gold miners illegal gold miners in Ghana mm. like we saw how China you know they they did not agree with us they said you did a wrong thing and we're going to deal with you guys accordingly and you should have followed the rules and so on and so forth mm. um, and I think as far as language though I uh, goes. Um, when talking about it in these official white papers, I think China should uh, be more specific. Be have these, you know, just uh, maybe this is an idea for the next trade and cooperation paper, economic trade and cooperation paper. It's to to say that China is going to be uh, not aggressive. Okay, because that's not the language you want to use, but they will uh, be specific about um, saying that Chinese enterprises and. China, uh, state owned organizations cannot, uh, they have to follow within the rules and, and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, uh, re really good point. Uh, one thing, so there, there was a set of numbers that really caught my eye. So, you know, after this, this was, this report was sent out, one of the, uh, one of the newspaper articles, I think, um, uh, China Daily said, Africa, you know, Chinese investment in Africa, 20, that is up 20%, like, for you know x amount of years and i was like but they started from a really low baseline and and so you know i, I looked at it and you know lo and behold they've they're they've sent what at the end of 2012 like 2.52 billion direct investment so you know out of the mm -hmm. the crazy numbers being thrown around 2.52 billion isn't quite up there and then in terms of um cumulative investment from i, I believe 2000 to 2012 it's only been 21.23 billion now that's a, a significant number, but if you look on on the white paper and, and continue on down, and, and I want to read a quote, by the end of 2012, the volume of African countries' direct investment in China totaled 14.242 billion. 
Now, I'm not a math major, but that sounds like it's only seven billion less of what Africa's investment in China than Chinese investment in Africa itself. Like, yes, I mean, seven billion's uh, n nothing to sneeze at. I would love to have seven billion dollars if anybody's listening. But, I, I mean, it, like, in terms of investment numbers, are they that impressive? These numbers? Yeah. Uh, I mean, absolutely. It, like, this, the, the problem with China and numbers, it's, 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 it's impossible to know what these figures really mean because <laughs> they, don't, they don't take into account all of the, you know, the private businesses that go on there. And, and again, with the issue of uh, data collection, transparency, and all of that stuff. Um, but I, I think, again... China wants to be very uh, conservative about these figures, mm. and I mean they're still pretty huge numbers, but they don't want to raise any red flags saying they've invested billions and billions, hundreds of billions, tens of billions of dollars. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. Mm. Be conservative. All right, Dr. Kalu. Any other questions? Yeah. Um, so now that we've We've kind of talked about the fact that these numbers may not necessarily be the most reliable. Um, what can scholars learn from these statistics or the information that's presented in the white paper that we didn't know before that wasn't previously available? Um, I think well, one thing that stood out to me is uh, how the, the white paper highlights some of the projects and work that China has in countries with comparably fewer natural resources. For example, uh, the, they, they point out like specific examples of the sugar refineries in Mali and textile and sesame mm. seeds mm. exports from Ethiopia. Um, and I think that while it, it takes away the attention from China's like huge, crazy investments in resource extraction, um, it's also a diplomatic way of showing that China's engagements are comprehensive throughout the entire region, not just in resources countries. And China isn't playing favorites. And mm. uh, it's, yeah, it's not about just getting, uh, securing their energy resources or anything like that, like these big ticket oil <laughs> figures. Um, also, another thing that was interesting to me, uh, one of the major highlights at least, is... Uh, again, how Chinese trade and economic activities have expanded from agriculture, mining, and construction to other activities like resource processing, so um, investing more in uh, these, these technologies to refine uh, uh, mineral resources into higher, uh, what do you, higher value added products. Yeah, there, there, there were some really, really cool projects go, going going on. I mean, the, the sesame, the, the sesame, um, Sales from Africa to China alone were really interesting to to me. You, you're, you're right. The the, um, I, I wish they would follow up with it. But there are some projects I never heard of before going on. Are really quite interesting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and also other things like logistics and financial services and real estate, and um, you see a lot of banking going on in uh, Africa. Um, another highlight is uh, how. Over these years, since the last white paper, China has strengthened cooperation with and relationships with uh, the African 
organizations like the African Union and other sub-regional organizations. And it's just another mechanism for China to show Africa and the rest of the world how much, uh, you know, they're such good economic and trade partners and they invest in their communities and with African governments and uh, other organizations and continues to stay true to their mutual beneficial policies. So that's, that's something that scholars can learn <laughs> well like uh, i i'm gonna ask a, a long question so when, when i was reading like that they were members of all these uh economic communities they were part of the economic community of west african states uh ECOWAS. um they're a china china's status as a member state of the african development bank i was like how do, china's a member of the african development bank i i don't know much about the adb but that's uh china is not in africa last time i checked um but I, I mean, they're, they're, these sort of um, huge financing mechanisms were, were really interesting to me. I, they, they, they emphasize it a lot. I, it, um, in terms of the, the investment section, financing was uh, the number two investment after mining. I think it was at 19%. Um, yeah, 19.5%. Um, they're talking about that, that that they're members of the, of the ADB, that they're parts of all these financing projects. Tell me about Chinese financing, development finance, and, and they mentioned a little bit about the Chinese Development Bank, and they didn't talk about the, the Exim Bank, the Export-Import Bank. Can, can you talk a little about that? Uh, sure, I can. I, I wrote my thesis on um, the, the China Development Bank, so I could go on and on about it. I will let you go on and on for <laughs> a, a while, so go ahead. Yeah, um, so, I mean, talking about uh, financing mechanisms and uh, the white paper is that there there is this an explicit mention of the Chinese government encouraging Chinese businesses and financial institutions to increase investments in Africa. Um, and uh, I'm going to start talking about the China Development Bank here. And I personally think that CDB is one of the most important institutions in Africa's engagements, or China's engagement, engagements in Africa, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, a lot of these Chinese institutions that currently operate uh, throughout Africa is in large part to these, the CPB's financing of them. Oh, can, can, can you talk about how, how does this work? Why is this financing important? Um, financing of... Uh, oh, sure. I mean... Um, Financing, so, okay, <laughs> let me uh, take a step back here. So China or has this going global policy mm -hmm. um, or the Zhou policy, and it's basically China government saying Chinese enterprises have to go abroad, find new markets, and encourage Chinese exports. Uh, so the, these two things to go abroad and uh, like send more exports or like all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so the the China Development Bank is a policy bank, which means its only function is to carry out strategic ob objectives of the Chinese government. Uh, and so um, it, this could have changed in the last couple of years, but I think there are only two functions: is to one secure energy resources and supply, and two win businesses. Uh, for Chinese enterprises or Chinese SOS, SOEs and um, private businesses to go abroad. Um, so just encourage 
Chinese businesses and help China continue to be able to support itself, like energy-wise. And so the CDB was a critical part of this going global because it helped a lot of Chinese uh, state-owned enterprises and uh, businesses acquire strategic investments abroad. Uh, so for uh, one of the big China oil companies, I think they secured something like a $30 billion credit line from the CDB <laughs> so that they can go out and buy uh, like stakes in mining companies or other oil companies or uh, like find resource like, uh, like resource exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see like the, the China development bank operating in Africa in a number of ways that aren't very apparent. Um, so Chinese SOEs in Africa, like the China Railway Corporation or private companies like Huawei, uh, the telecom giant, investing huge amounts of money in Africa. And a lot of it is impossible without the help of the CDB, who provide loans that these companies can expand in Africa. And an interesting thing about the CDB is that uh, while they give loans to companies like Huawei, mm-hmm. they also give money to um, African governments or African uh, businesses to purchase uh, products from Huawei. So there's just Ooh. it's 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 like I, I could go on. Like this is really com- complicated stuff. It's not really complicated, but maybe I'm I can't really <laughs> explain it in a no 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 that no that that's 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 fine. You 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 you. I mean I'm trying to give you some time to 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 go on. If is there any is there in terms of the China Development Bank, so if the China Development Bank did not like exist, would these companies uh, be able to 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 be in Africa for? for yes, that's that's my, the blunt question. Um, I think. Well, it's uh, that's something I couldn't really answer for myself. I know that a lot of Chinese enterprises, both state-owned and private, they have huge, immense, like financial resources, mm. and these same companies couldn't really be as big as they are within China without Chinese government financing them. Mm. I mean, even if it was a state-owned company or a like you know a, a car manufacturing company that operates in China, they needed the like state help state backing so that they could get as big as they are and it's hard to say that if it was if it was possible for these companies that's to an go. entirely loaded question i asked you so d- <laughs> good, good no, no not, um, not a problem i don't know i i guess no it wouldn't be, be possible it's like my my opinion of the thing just because the state in china and the chinese government is just <laughs> such an instrumental uh like huge it's like backer of everything that is that made China as big as it is today. And, and is like the China Development Bank strength the fact that it get I mean it'll get you a line of credit or is it that the 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 terms are so good or a combination of both? Uh, it's a combination of both definitely. Uh, the China Development Bank um, under the leadership of the, he's now retired, he stepped down to work on the BRICS Development Bank. His name is Chen Yuan. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he was very he's a visionary in in, in in like the policies of China Development Bank in acquiring uh, in just identifying projects or businesses that they that he sees are beneficial. Uh, so he decided that this oil company 
is going to go abroad and try to find some uh, oil in Africa, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see just the combination of, uh, you know, identifying individual companies and also just other uh, opportunities. You know, it's a bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it... No, that's that. That's you, you make some really, really good points and and things that that I didn't necessarily know about because I'll, generally a lot of people talk about the strength of the the Chinese Export Import Bank, um, oh, rather than the China Development Bank. But uh, this, this is really yeah. interesting. Why why do you think there was such an emphasis on financing in 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 this um in this iteration of of the China Africa Economic white paper um i think now that china is is is, um what's the word i'm looking for they've they've done a lot of infrastructure they've done a lot of construction and all these like tangible uh investments in the region um i think financing is kind of like the next step Hmm. uh, into like a deeper a deeper engagement um and I think it would be interesting to see how, uh, like, financing mechanisms and how they kind of just change what the the financial uh, infrastructure would be like. Because, like, even today, and even the way, uh, like, the Chinese in, in, like financial uh, system works, is kind of based off of the West um, idea of how it should work. Mm. And now that China is getting more experience and the China Development Bank has like all of this, uh, these new ways of thinking of how financing should be, should be made. It would be like to, it'd be good to see how Chinese uh, financial institutions go into Africa and see what they can do for African local businesses and small and medium enterprises and even microfinance, um, to, you know, just as an alternative to the West, because... Um, well, could, could you give an example, like, how is the CDB, what what sort of ideas are different that the CDB has than, let's say, American financial institutions or, or, or British financial institutions or, or the IMF or World Bank? Um, sure. Uh, I think the CDB is, well, because it's such, it's a policy bank, it's backed by the Chinese government. They are the ones, the Chinese government calls all the shots and they say, you have to do what we say. Uh, the CDB is more likely to finance these risky projects. Uh, so in China, like they, the CDB was the one to um, finance these huge infrastructure projects, like financing these otherwise risky and ridiculously large-scale long-term projects, like Three Gorges Dam, uh, and the China, like the crazy transportation network. And these are projects that commercial banks wouldn't touch at all. Um, and so to see the CDB operating in, in Africa and maybe not exactly the CDB because they, they aren't a commercial bank and maybe they can influence, uh, they can help influence or help out or kind of strategically work with local African banks, um, to, I don't know, kind of make a model out of, uh, identifying projects that, like, uh, you know, long-term projects that wouldn't otherwise be feasible to other West, to Western banks mm. or other, like, uh, is it conservative 
traditional financing banks. Okay. All right. Um, before we go to recommendations, I'm going to read from you three quotes from uh, from the uh, white paper, and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on these. Is that okay? Sure. All right. And I'm quoting. Chinese products exported to Africa are generally of fine quality and well-priced and fulfill the consumption demands of all social strata in Africa. And, and they continue, in order to guarantee the quality of products exported to Africa from December 2010 to March 2011, the Chinese side took special steps to crack down on the potential exports to Africa of counterfeit and shoddy products and commodities that violated intellectual property rights. This involved multiple measures, such as prior to shipment quality examinations for industrial products that were to be exported to Africa. These measures helped guarantee the quality of Chinese commodities exported to Africa. What's the oh, what's okay. the deal with that? That's I I um from most of what I've read that that doesn't chi- I mean Chinese product quality even if they are um even if they are they're uh Im- imported let, let's say a um a, an African trader than a Chinese trader but Chinese products are, are generally I've heard of of not the they don't have the most sterling reputation. Yeah. Um I agree with you. I think reputation is a huge part of it. Um, and also, you know, exports, import, export, like products, that there's a ton of stuff being imported into Africa. Um, so that may be the case for, you know, like these good quality manufacturing products, uh, cars, like these big, large scale things. Um, that may be the case for, I'm, I'm not very, I'm not very familiar with, uh, Chinese exports to Africa, um, but from what I understand, I think it's I think reputation and what what is what is often caught um, reported by the media. Uh, we we see a lot of uh, things that wouldn't agree with <laughs> that. I, I'm quote. good on the white paper for at least saying they tried. Um, so I, I that, 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 that's some, some, some very diplomatic language. Here, here's another thing that I, that I thought was um, really interesting. Um, and I quote, service industries that produce zero pollution and consume little energy have become a new highlight of China-Africa cooperation in recent years. Um, what, part of the thing they're talking about is like uh, how green they are, how environmentally friendly they are. But man, that that is that is, that is a good line. Zero pollution and consume little energy. Um, I w- like what I mean when you read stuff like this. Like, what what do you think? Yeah, I, that's also <laughs> something funny uh, to to hear and read about. Um, I mean, what does that even mean? What what is this zero pollution? Like, does that mean like they're the work in the financial industry? I guess like technically they don't have any pollution. You're 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 you're, you're right. <laughs> um, um, it's yeah. I guess they they become very selective in their words. Uh, <laughs> just throw as many positive things out there as I, you can. I mean, I I I've been I've been you know throwing an unnecessary amount of salt on, on, on this white paper. There are, there are some really yeah. interesting statistics and, and there are some, some things that, that came out um, um, towards the end when they were talking about, um, let's see, in 2011, China provided 50 million yuan in emergency aid to Tunisia and Egypt to ease a man- humanitarian ca- crisis caused by refugees stranded in the areas bordering Libya. I mean, there were some numbers out there that, that, that I, I, I cannot 
make sarcastic comments towards. There, um, there, 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 there are things that, that are good and, and, and stable, but, um, but some of the other things um, really, really gave me a chuckle. Um, all right, we are going to go to recommendations, if, if, if that's okay, with, with the remaining time. Um, is that okay with everybody? Yes. All right. Dr. Kalu? start with an interesting recommendation that actually is not too far off the topic of conversation today. The um, August 2013 issue of Chinese Studies, I don't believe we've recommended this on the show yet, um, has an article by um, Edwidge Kamitewoko, and I'm quite certain I butchered that, um, but it's on the determinants of entrepreneurship success, an examination of Chinese-owned businesses in Congo, Brazzaville. Definitely an interesting read. Dang, that does. I, that, that by the title alone, I want to read that. Sounds like something I will get my hands on after this. <laughs> uh, what what about you, uh, Francis? Uh, we so I was talking on and on about the China Development Bank, and I still believe it's an incredible institution, and so I attribute my enthusiasm for this institution. Uh, to one book written by China-based Bloomberg reporters Henry Sanderson and Michael Forsyth. Uh, the book is titled um, China's Superbank, and it's about the CDB and how it's a key organization to China's influence in overseas markets, as well as domestic policy. And highly recommended. It's an, it's very easy to read. It's not full of financial jargon and. Uh, boring stuff. It's really, it's, it's a great book. I, I've been meaning to, to read that for a while, but that's, I mean, that's got to be an interesting thing where, like, this, I'm reading China's Superbank, and then I really want to learn about China's Development Bank. This book must be pretty darn good. It's great. Alright, <laughs> uh, 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 thank you, thank you so much for, for recommending that, and uh, that's on my ever-growing list of things I have to read. Um, uh, my recommendation is, uh, it's an article that came out last week by uh, Jeffrey York of the Globe and Mail, which I, I believe is a Canadian uh, newspaper, uh, and it's called Why China is Making a Big Play to Control Africa's Media. Now, okay, so sometimes when people write anything about what China's doing in Africa, they'll take like two or three countries and then talk about the continent as a whole. So like... Let's say, like, there's problems with mining in, like, Zambia and Ghana. Oh, all Chinese mining is problematic. This, uh, this I don't really think falls in the trap. While, yeah, maybe the tone might not be as positive towards um, uh, China-Africa relations as some people might like, this is one of the only instances I know of about what it is actually like to work for CCTV as an African journalist. Um, I, all the quotes are anonymous. Um... And, and he says to, to you know protect reputations, but uh, but as part of China's big media push, I mean when when they when China first uh, started up their CCTV um, operations in, in Nairobi, people thought, well, what might that mean? Now this article talks about some of these implications and how they play out on the ground, and it's really interesting stuff. Um, it's it's really persuasively argued, and, and it talks about um, all, all these different uh, Chinese media plays, which the Chinese government is 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 backing. It's, it's really really interesting. Um, one minor quibble 
Um, he he mentions China has also launched a monthly magazine, China Africa, based in Johannesburg. Now, I'm pretty sure China Africa has been been being published since 1988. Uh, at least that's what I I looked up like actually like a few weeks ago um, on their website. So if anybody has any back issues of China Africa, let me know because I would love to see what what they're like. Um, but that's that's more or less it. Um, Francis, how do people find you on the internet? Oh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> so tell us some of these places. I, I, I have a, a blog. What's the name of the blog? Um, it's called Country Roads. Immature observations of Sino-African relations, and it hasn't been updated in a long time. But I had plan on changing that, and <laughs> I'm on Twitter as well. Also, very rare appearances, but I'm I'm gonna. What is your Twitter handle in case people want to find you? My Twitter handle is uh, F Pontemayor. How do you spell uh, Pontemayor? It's P O N T E M A Y O R. Perfect. So yeah, the blog or the Twitter account. Anything else that people might want to know uh, uh, about you? Um, I don't. I think I think that's it. <laughs> Fantastic. <G-chat. laughs> I do you want to give your G chat out? I don't think that's a good idea, actually. No, I will. No. Yeah. They, yeah. Twitter. Twitter is good. Okay. The blog's good. <laughs> you heard it here first, Dr. Kalu. What about yourself? I'm still on Twitter, yeah. and we're up to over 20 tweets. Yes. Making progress. <laughs> you, you, uh, uh, slowly but surely. Uh, very, very, yep. pr- very proud of you. And you will also be blogging on calories and rice soon, or? Yes. Yes. Definitely. Uh, all right. I um, we're, we're in the, the process of finalizing that. As for myself. Um, you can find me on my blog, Cowries and Rice. It's uh, Cowries, like, uh, like the Cowrie Shell, C-O-W-R-I-E-S, um, and then Rice, R-I-C-E, dot blogspot.com. Um, I, you know, I, right now I'm basically putting a podcast, but with Dr. Kalu's help, we'll, we'll, we'll join blog and, and put up some more material than once a week. Um, I'm also on Twitter. My handle is Winslow underscore R, W-I-N-S-L-O-W underscore R. And I'm tweeting mostly about Africa-China stuff with a uh, smattering of other crazy non-related things. But I, I think I'm pretty good uh, on, on, on giving, giving the skinny on, on what uh, Africa-China current events are, are happening. Um, and with that, that is about it. Uh, we will see you next week. And Francis, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you. It's lots of fun. <laughs>